Welcome to Our Story. Glad you've joined us for another week. My name is Matt Stone. I'm with Dr. Phil Schrader, our senior pastor, another one of our pastors, Reverend Kathy Brockman. So we are excited to jump into this week. This Sunday is a little bit of a unique Sunday. I feel like I've been saying that a lot lately, but it's a unique Sunday because it's Laity Sunday. And that means a couple things for us. Uh, for one, it means that we've got uh, we've got some lay folks that are, that are going to be leading us in worship. That's always really, uh, I think, uh, an exciting moment for a congregation. Uh, in in a similar way that uh, having children lead us in worship brings a different view and experience of worship. Uh, being led in uh, in our worship experience by our lay people brings us a, a different view and experience of worship as well. So I'm excited about that part of it. But uh, bringing the message this week is uh, Bill Curry. So uh, that's a familiar name around these parts to a lot of folks. But Phil, if you are unfamiliar with Bill Curry, who in, introduce us to Bill. Who, who is Bill and why is he uh, coming to Dunwoody this weekend? I'm excited that Bill was scheduled to come and just preach Our Lady Sunday even before I got here because he's a member at Peachtree Road United Methodist Church and one of the most gifted speakers I've ever heard, lay or clergy. He spoke to us at the School of Congregational Development several years ago here in Atlanta, and it was such the best thing that was said that week. So I was really pleased. He's had a, quite the career in the NFL as a player, playing for the Packers, the Colts, the Oilers, and the Rams. He was a center, and he played for Bobby Dodd here at Georgia Tech. I uh, was born in College Park, Georgia, and uh, brings a long history of coaching places like Alabama and Kentucky, uh, Georgia Tech, Georgia State, among others. So we're grateful for uh, the work that he did in the huddle and on the field and in the in the booth, and we look forward to him coming to share a good word with us this week. He's just a good man uh, as well as an amazing speaker. Well, I think it's going to be incredibly exciting and uh, always good to hear uh, hear the gospel and hear a message from a perspective that we might not normally have access to. So I think that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, what is what is going to be the focus of his message, uh, or maybe uh, more specifically, what passage is he preaching on? Well, we uh, have designated Philippians 4 as the passage toward which uh, he'll be speaking this week, because I've heard him speak before, and he talks about camaraderie. And he talks about what it means to sweat together with people in the huddle. And so I think these words will ring true as you hear his sermon. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And he'll talk about, I'm sure, reminders of how that has happened to him and the lessons he's learned in the huddle over the years and remind us to keep on doing the things that we've learned and received and heard and seen in Christ Jesus and the God of peace will be with them. All right. Well, he really jumps hard into (laughs) Philippians chapter 4, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. Um, So how about this? Uh, Instead of jumping in right there, so Phil, you just read uh, starting in Philippians 4 verse 8. I wonder if we could back up a few verses and maybe we can kind of help set it up um, so that as all of us come to worship this Sunday, we're thinking not just about the passage that, uh, that Bill's going to reference, but, um, but also the, the words of Paul leading up to it. So uh, part of the reason that I want to back up, and Kathy, I'm glad that you're here, is the beginning of chapter 4, 
I think is an underrated passage verses two and three in particular, an underrated and incredibly important passage, but it's one of those that it's just so easy to skip over because it feels like an offhand comment. It feels like, uh, you know, something that Paul just happened to include that's really more about the specifics of the day. But I think if we reflect on it a little bit more, what we find here is one of the more important passages in the New Testament. Uh, so let me let me read the verses, and then Kathy, I kind of want to hear you uh, s- kind of reflect on these from your perspective on these verses. Uh, here's what Paul says. He says, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, companion, Help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. What jumps out to me is Paul is really clear about who Euodia and Syntyche are and what their role in the life of the church is. Right? These are two women who are co-laborers, who have struggled in the work of the gospel with Paul, and Paul does not appear to have a problem with that, uh, which is maybe not what we hear from Paul sometimes. So, Kathy, I'm kind of curious to hear you reflect on this particular passage and, and whether anything jumps out to you. Um, well, I think what you're getting at is Paul's typical, what we typically see, or a lot of people take Paul as being so against women being in the church and teaching in the church or speaking in the church. And I think that um, he's gotten a bad rap over the years, Paul has. That Paul may be talking to people of that time, and that's the way um, people would have seen women in in that way. But he is thankful for them. He is thankful for their work with him as laborers out there preaching the gospel, bringing people to Christ. Um, But I also think, I mean, the way I read it is that perhaps there has been some kind of um, disagreement between the two, perhaps, when we talk about reconciliation, I don't know exactly what he means, and probably I should know, but I don't. And maybe that's something you'll know. Do you know what kind of disagreement might have happened between the two? Well, it's funny that he jumps in with the language that he set up earlier. He set up that language earlier in general terms. If you remember from chapter 2, he says it three times. I need you to be of the same mind. I right. need you to be of the share of the same mind. I need you to be of the same mind that's in Christ Jesus. And... It feels like he's setting them up to hear it uh, by what he said earlier. So he says to the whole gathered Philippi community, be the same mind, be the same mind, be the same mind. And then uh, there's obviously tension. I don't know exactly what the tension mm-hmm. was, uh, but th- there's obviously tension. And so he's calling them to be of the same mind if they're going to seek to continue to be leaders and examples in the gospel. Do you remember exactly any of the what the content of the discussion was between the two of them? No, I really don't. And and I, to be honest, I spent less time thinking about the um, the conflict going on between them. Uh, you know, what stands out to me about that is it's real uh, in the sense that when we get together, even when we are of the same mind, even when we're chasing um, the same Jesus and have the same mind in that way, there's still going to be conflict. And so Paul brings the full resources of the community for these two persons and says, Look, help help these two people work their things out because they've been valuable co-workers, valuable co-laborers. And that really is the piece that, that I think is 
fascinating and again so easy to skip over what's interesting for me is Paul um, Paul is is regarding both Yodia and Syntyche as full partners. There's no discussion about it. There's no presumption of anything but their co-labors. And, and in case uh, in case we had any lingering doubts, he says, and their names are in the book of life. Right. But there is no second-class citizen here for Paul. And the church got this wrong for so many, not years, not decades, but centuries. We got this so wrong. And, and to, to devalue or... Um, uh, or reject the role of women in leadership of the church is not only unwise because it misses out on the gifts and graces that women bring, it's actually unbiblical to leave women out of uh, their role as leaders in the church. And it's so easy to miss in this passage Mm -hmm. because it feels, I'm going to say it this way, uh, just to put a point on it, it feels like a throwaway passage. Because it feels like Paul's just saying, hey, don't, don't forget to work out, you know, whatever's going on with Yodi and Syntyche. But it's anything but a throwaway passage. It, it's a passage that sheds light on um, one of the darkest era, areas, one of the darkest legacies of Christian leadership over the last 2,000 years. So that's why I wanted to spend a little yeah, bit of time. Yeah, I appreciate your pointing that out. I really do. And God forbid that anything I said when I was a much younger preacher was held up as something that I have always believed. I'm sure there are things that I've said when I was younger that I would have to take a step back that I was so sure about Mm -hmm. in those early days that I would have to take a step back. And we don't really have Paul's uh, writings laid out from youngest to right. oldest. From right. He said this when he was first starting out. Later on, he says things like, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. But we don't have it laid out in that here's the young preacher Paul sometimes uh, struggling to, to get it right. And here, maybe more fully, he gets it right. We look at all of Scripture kind of as happening at the same mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. Does that make Absolutely. And I think that people don't give, just like they don't always give us credit for learning, like you said, when you were younger, you said things. Same here. And I'm sure, Matt, for you too, you've grown as you've gotten older. And I've actually always known everything. uh, Oh, I should have known that about you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I think you're absolutely right. And I think that too many times we focus on those, or not us in particular, but some folks choose to focus on some of the earlier things that might have been construed to mean that women have no place in leadership. And then I think that a lot of women are put off by Paul because that's the parts that they've focused on or have been taught to them. So I really appreciate your pulling this out and making sure that we spend a little bit of time talking about it because I don't think Paul's as bad as a, ra- a bad a person as he gets the rap to be or leader. So. It's like MSG. Yeah. I heard a report on that this week. That MSG, the whole issue behind MSG was on a letter to the editor to the New England Journal of Medicine that was not really vetted. It was just an issue with Chinese food. And turns out there's really nothing wrong with MSG. The FDA has come back time and time again and said there's nothing about it. But there's somehow this myth, this legacy with MSG that was... Uh, it got in national newspapers, and it's based on this one small thing, 
And there really isn't that much of a problem at all with MSG, and it's gotten a bad rap. Everybody over the years. thinks it's bad yeah. because of that one. Because that one article, mm-hmm. as opposed to really reading something in depth and finding out uh, what was really behind it. And that happens to a lot of things these days, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think there's an issue of specificity here, too, right? So, in the same way that in this passage we can look and see that Paul clearly values both Euodia and Syntyche and their role and contribution to the growth of the gospel in the early church. At other times, in a specific context, which is largely unknown, unfortunately to us, Paul does say things like, and women be quiet in the church. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to take that kind of passage seriously, we have to take both passages seriously uh, and look at uh, the implications of it. And, uh, you know, I don't know about the two of you, although I suspect I, I might, but the weight on the weight in favor of Paul's full inclusion of women in the life uh, uh, and body of Christ, I think outweighs um, what I would read as some contextually driven reminders that our freedom in Christ shouldn't be abused. Um, So anyways, I, I think this is not the uh, the purpose of Philippians chapter four it's not it's not a main uh, a main message in Philippians overall but I do think it's important for us to lift up and uh, certainly not uh, what uh, what Bill Curry is going to be preaching on this Sunday which is <laughs> probably fun. not but but he you know he may have seen the 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 giftedness there working alongside him and it may have helped change his mind if you were I mean it it, it may have. Uh, his understanding of women's role in the church itself evolves, perhaps. You're talking about, about Paul's. Paul. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah I, thought, I thought you were yeah. saying, I was like, well, wait, okay. Wait, wait. Um, he didn't have any women in the huddle. He, I'm, I'm guessing there were no women. Yeah, we need to talk probably about not, that. Probably not. Probably not. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I, so this is an interesting question uh, for me. So when we think about Paul's theology developing, how does that interact with the notion of these letters as scripture and inspired by uh, the Holy Spirit? Um, what role can an individual's development, and this is probably deeper down the, the rabbit hole than we really intend to go, but what role does an individual's development play within scripture? Right? It, 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 because what we're essentially saying is that Paul believed incorrectly and then he believed correctly, and yet both appear in scripture. Well, but we also see where he's converted, right? Where he um, uh, persecuted the Christians, right? And then was converted, and then just to see his growth over time, which I think applies to every one of us, right? Some of us may have started from a place of not believing, and then as we um, read more, and we study more, and we pray more, and we are in community more, we learn, and we grow, and we change, just like Paul did. Yeah. I think it's a tricky thing. I think it's a tricky thing. I, for me, I think I would rather, even my own language betrays me, but uh, I would rather consider that Paul is offering contextually specific counsel to a community of women who's being dis- disruptive. Mm. And he's calling them out, which, which, by the way, Paul shows no hesitation for calling any group no, out. Uh, in fact, in Philippians 3, he calls them dog. He calls some people dogs. Um, so he shows no hesitation to call people out. And, and I, like, I, I want to believe that, and I could be wrong, 
But I want to believe that Paul all along understood and valued the role of women in, in the ministry of the gospel. Um, and that that wasn't a thing that changed for him. It was just the, the context to which he was writing that changed. And so the council needed to, needed to change because of that. Yeah, that's possible, I guess. Having been a Jew before, though, and knowing what their rules were about women, I don't know. Yeah. Interesting question. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to press on to really the meat of chapter 4, I think. Uh, and this is in verse 4. Mm. Listen, to, listen to these words. I think these are, um, I mean, in so many ways, iconic words from Paul. Rejoice in, the, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. These words, I think, are so life-giving for us right now and so necessary as we sit, what, two weeks out, uh, give or take, from the next presidential election when I think about the level of anxiety in our culture, when I think about uh, the level of uh, disunity and division within our country and our community, I think Paul's words here are so crucial for the Christian community in guiding how we engage this cultural moment. What do you think, guys? What do you hear from Paul for us right now? Um I've had conversations with people in the church and I've had people come to me and say how upset they were in their neighborhood that the signs were taken down. Uh, In one neighborhood, someone came and took all the Trump Pence signs down. In another neighborhood, someone came through and took all the Biden Harris signs down. And both families, you know, were distressed that someone would come through the neighborhood and do that. But these passages, this passage reminds me of what the Worthingtons in our church did. They created signs that said, be kind, be kind. And they've given away, I think, 500 and some signs, uh, just yard signs. And there's one in my yard right now that says, be kind. And I think that there's a reminder of that. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Be kind, Mm -hmm. be kind. Yeah, and the Worthingtons did that in the midst of COVID. And so I think a lot... I mean, we've got the anxiety about the election, but we've also got the anxiety that still goes with this virus, right? With people losing their jobs or um, having folks in their families sick or having lost loved ones to it. So there's a lot, not just of the election, but there's a lot of anxiety in in this culture or this society in the world right now. So um, I love this passage. As a matter of fact, I have written this out by hand and stuck it on my mirror Mm -hmm. to look at and pray every morning because it is so important right now to remember this. Yeah, I think there's so much packed in here that in some ways it's hard to it's hard to see what's really being said. Mm -hmm. But there's a promise contained in it, uh, particularly in verse seven. But the but the promise that flows goes something like this: Don't worry about anything. Offer it to God. And the peace of God will guard your heart, right? If I strip out some of Paul's, you know, 97 uh, (laughs) phrases and clauses that he uses, I think that's the heart of it. What I'm curious about is um, the relationship between the peace of God and guarding our hearts. In what way does the peace of God guard our hearts? Because that's the promise being made, is that God's peace will guard us, will protect us. 
And that seems, it seems like exactly the right word for this moment, but I want to unpack it just a little bit. What do you think is the relationship between peace and protection? Maybe, or for me, I guess, that peace protects or um, helps guard against the anxiety that's produced, um, which is not all, I mean, this, this sounds good. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, prayer and supplication, right, that sounds good. But how easy is it to do, to really to give everything up and not worry about it? Because every, I can give it up one minute and the next minute I'm worried about it again. So it's one of those things, um, at some point, the peace of God is going to help guard my heart against that. I pray to stop the anxiety, to stop the worrying about things. And this may be splitting hairs. But for me, I think there's a difference between do not be concerned about anything and do not worry about True. anything. Yeah. For me, worry is irrational. Worry is when you get real head up about something, uh, and concern is rational. I mean, I think that we, we have to be concerned if we're going to be human beings and we're going to interact in society. But worry is something that kind of goes over the edge, and uh, if... If the peace of God is in my heart, and that helps me to keep things in perspective, uh, I don't worry. You can be concerned, but you don't worry, and it doesn't overtake your life or take your life over. Yeah. Got it. Good. Makes sense. Yeah, I think that's such a... Such a powerful passage. I think Kathy's uh, practice of writing that and putting it on the mirror is one that uh, a few of us might need to pay attention to. Uh, what a great way to put that in front of us in, in this season. I don't think we can get out of Philippians chapter 4 without dealing with one particular verse. Because it's a verse that I think has been much abused. Although not, not, not for negative uses so much. Uh, maybe misused is a better way to say it. So Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Some of your translations may say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And uh, I remember when I was growing up, uh, every youth t-shirt, right? Every youth ministry t-shirt that was ever made had Philippians well, one of two verses, this was one of them. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I also think there was a series of, like, adventure sports shirts that also had this. Like, I can climb El Capitan because uh, I can do me. all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, wow. And I think this that's very much how this passage was used, or is used, is in a, in a physical sense. Uh, I can conquer anything because Jesus is making my muscles stronger. I wonder if that's how you read this. My youth minister had a poster with a cat, like yes. just hanging, and yeah. it just said, hang in there. Yeah. It wasn't even this, yeah. this fancy. I mean, it got the same idea, but it was just a cat that said, hang in there. Yeah. Uh, you think this is what Paul had in mind, hang in there? I think it's so much more than that. Well, I love the way right before it he says... Um, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I'm re- um, I've been in need. I've had what I need. I know what it is to have little. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry. And that God is there through it all. Right? Yeah. I and I can that, make it. I think it's that. right, Kathy. I think it's exactly right. Because where Paul starts is thanking them for helping him. He's thanking the Philippian community for helping him when he was in a time of need. 
But then he almost kind of rolls it back and he's saying, look, I'm not complaining about being in need because I, I know what it is to have a lot, I know what it is to have a little, but it's, a, it's almost a statement of endurance. I can do all of that, right? I can, I can live through a time of need. I can live through a time of suffering. I can live through a time of plenty and abundance and joy. I can do all of that because it's not dependent on my will or my strength. And it's a reminder that, um, that our endurance is directly related to our reliance on Jesus, um, which I think is not the direction that we typically will go in seasons of struggle. Hmm. Right. When when things get hard, like this particular season, we right, we, we buckle down. Right. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? We buckle down and we just try harder. But that's not Paul's approach. Paul's approach is when things get tougher, we rely more. We depend more on Christ who, who strengthens us. That's how we endure. Hmm. It reminds me of the Wesley Covenant service where, you know, we talk about let me be put to work for you. Let me be put, laid aside for you whatever is needed, whatever, wherever you need me, and that helps me to keep things in perspective. I love what Wesley said about voting uh, in the midst of trying to be kind. He, he said in October of 1774, he said, I met with those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election. Aren't you glad we live in a, a time when uh, there were not some who have votes and some who do not have votes? And he said these three things, to vote without fee or reward for the person they judge most worthy, to speak no evil of the person they voted against, Hmm. and to take care their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted (laughs) on the other side. That's great advice. That feels pretty right. Mm -hmm. That feels feels right. Uh, Good counsel uh, 250 years ago. And uh, good counsel for uh, for today as well, uh, Phil, Kathy. Thanks for today. Uh, Philippians four is a rich chapter. I hope you'll have a chance to read it before you come to church this Sunday. Uh, just a reminder: we have services at eight forty-five, eleven twenty-two, and five o'clock. You'll be able to hear Bill Curry um, at uh, at those services. So uh, read Philippians four, and we will see you on Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Our Story podcast from Dunwoody UMC. Visit us online at dunwoodyumc.org and join us for online worship every Sunday morning. This Sunday, we'll also have outdoor worship at 845 and 1122 a.m. in the parking lot and at 5 p.m. on the ball field. We hope you'll join us and add your story to ours.